Thanks for listening to the Soul H2O podcast from Joy Radio in Toronto. Be sure to subscribe, then rate and share so we can reach new listeners around the world. Welcome to the Soul H2O Radio and Podcast Show, your on-air ladies' Bible study event. I'm your host, Sherry Stahl, founder of the award-winning Soul H2O blog, speaker, author of Water in the Desert, and the Soul H2O Women's Devotional. This is the show that will inspire you to get into the Bible, help you understand it, and see how it applies to your everyday life. So why not grab a girlfriend, some coffee, tea, or Coke, and settle in for a quick half hour that will leave your soul refreshed. Don't forget to download one of the Soul H2O journal pages to help you dive deep into the teaching segment and quench your spiritual thirst. They can be found on today's show notes at soulh2o.com slash 70. I'm so excited you've tuned in for today's episode, Forgiveness, a Key to Unlocking Your Destiny. It holds a powerful message that could change the course of your future. So get ready to dive into today's Soul H2O devotion and get refreshed. Growing up, I often heard dad calling out in distress, Sharon, where did you put my keys? Which really in man speak means, Sharon, I don't know where I left my keys. I don't want to admit that, but can you help me find them? And trust me, we heard this a lot because at the racetrack with all of those buildings, there were a ton of keys. When I first married Todd, we spent a lot of time searching for his keys on a fairly regular basis, but thankfully without the blame game being played. When the strangest thing happened, his daughter Morgan bought him this gadget. I think it was called iFind or something like that, and he hasn't lost them ever since. And even though he never put the tag on his key ring, you can't tell me it's not mind over matter. Around this same time, though, I was asked to speak at a women's conference when the organizer, Kiersey, emailed me with the title of the event, Forgiveness, a Key that Unlocks the Door to Your Destiny. And then I had a vision. Now, if you listen to the God's Modus Operandi show, episode 67 in the Hearing from God series, when I said I'd never had a vision, well, I forgot all about this until I was reviewing my old sermon notes for this message. God is so often speaking if we live with our spiritual ears open and our spiritual eyes open. But back to the vision. I kept seeing flashes of this in the months preceding the women's event where I would see myself standing behind a girl with a key in her hand. Somehow, I sensed that I was helping her, although I was really not doing anything at the time. She puts it into the deadbolt, the lock, she turns it, and as she turns the doorknob with the other hand, she begins to walk through the open door. And then it stops. Simple, nothing crazy, but I knew that I knew what God was saying, that he was going to use me to help guide women to unlocking their destiny with the key of forgiveness. I believe God is going to do the same. He's going to reveal the key that is in your hand today as you listen to this episode. Even though right now you might feel stuck, you might think that you don't have the right key. Well, God has brought you here today to find the right key to unlock your destiny. In our world today, keys represent some pretty important things. They represent position, authority, access, control, protection, and freedom. 
Today, we're going to discuss each of these key roles and see how they relate to your life and destiny. The first thing that keys signify is position. I remember what a big deal it was getting a key for my home church, Lake Point, when I took on the position of women's ministry co-leader with my friend, Julie. I had to go to the church and fill out some paperwork to sign out the key. And often when people would ask you about helping with something at the church, they'd ask, are you a key holder? You see, keys reveal your position. I'm always amazed at the number of keys hanging from a janitor's pocket. Oh, wait, it's 2021. I better say sanitation engineer. A sanitation engineer's keyring is a visible sign to people of their position and authority to access whatever rooms are attached to the doors their keys unlock. Do you notice that some keys are more valuable than others? Sure, it's great for a janitor to be able to unlock the door to the stockroom, but what if you're given the key to the city? They don't just give them out to anyone. You have to have done something pretty amazing to be given this special key. The key to the city unlocks much, much more than just a school classroom. In each of these examples, the keys you get are not yours to keep. I had to give back my keys to the church when I stepped down from leadership in women's ministry to start traveling around and speaking. I had to return my key so that they could give it to the girl who took over my position. A sanitation engineer has to return their key ring at retirement or if they misuse the keys. They're not theirs to keep. The key to the city is only valid for a set period of time, often for only a day. Those are all temporary keys and temporary positions, but God always holds the position of authority. And the second thing that a key signifies is authority. God the Father is the one in ultimate authority. He shows off his power in Isaiah 22 verses 15 to 22. In most of your Bibles, you'll see the heading, the key of the house of David. It's this story about an Egyptian guy named Shebna, who was in charge of the palace when Hezekiah was king. The position, second only to the king himself, held a lot of authority in that day. So common in that time, and to this day, another nation was trying to take over Israel, and this leader of leaders decides it's over, and he begins to literally dig his own grave. And God wasn't mad because Shebna was preparing for his final burying place as much as he was mad at why he was building his tomb at this point in his life. God knew that Shebna had resigned himself to the belief that God wasn't going to save them and that they were going to be defeated by their enemy. Shebna didn't trust in God's authority. God is always asking you, do you trust me to take care of you? God actually tells Shebna that he's going to lose his position and authority and says in verse 20, In that day I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand him your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Keys represent authority. In talking about authority and Jesus, Luke 1 verses 30 to 32 says, But the angel said to her, Mary, 
Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And then John says in Revelation 3, verse 7, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, which is modern-day Turkey. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. This is a quote from Isaiah 22, verse 22, that originally was talking about a guy's name, Eliakim, and now John is connecting this verse with Jesus' authority. Could that authority also be yours? Jesus says to you and me and anyone else who will actually take him up on his word in Matthew 16, verse 19, that he will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Is it starting to sound familiar? Jesus has the authority, all authority, and Jesus has given you all authority past tense, given, not gonna give you, you've got it already. Authority over the enemy, authority over yourself. Jesus gives you his keys and he never takes them back. The third thing that keys signify is access to God in relationship. The NLT study Bible note on Isaiah 22 verse 22 says the officer with the highest position has sole authority in giving access to the king giving access to places you've never been. And Jesus has given you the authority which gives you access. You have that key. The fourth thing that keys signify is control. You, my friend, are the guardian of the gate. As the key holder, who you let in and who you keep out is your prerogative. Now, there's always going to be someone trying to slip you a 20 to let them in, but the choice is yours to make. You're the key holder of your life, and God has given you the control to make decisions on opening or closing that door. The fifth thing that keys signify is protection. When you have the key, you can keep people out. There is protection in using your key. The sixth thing that keys signify is freedom. When you're stuck in the difficulties of life, Keys can unlock you from being held captive. Friend, forgiveness is a key to your freedom. Since Jesus said in Matthew 16 verse 19 that he has given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, then whose hand is the key in? Well, it's in your hand. Christ has given you the key to unlock your destiny. Now, what are you going to do with your key? Nourish your faith with your favorite Bible teachers whenever you can. Connect to your global community wherever you are. And worship with an uplifting mix of today's top artists however you want. Download the MyJoy Radio app right now and never be without your favorite songs, stories, or scriptures ever again. It's free and grants you unlimited access to on-demand programs and podcasts and in-app Bible and Joy Radio's 24-hour live stream. Get the MyJoy Radio app today in iTunes and the Google Play Store. 
Thanks for listening to the Soul H2O podcast from Joy Radio in Toronto. Be sure to subscribe, then rate and share so we can reach new listeners around the world. Well, if forgiveness is a key to unlocking your destiny, there must be something you and I need to forgive. Forgiveness affirms an offense has occurred, and I'm assuming someone at some point in time in your life has offended you. Have you ever had someone really, I mean really, offend you, or is it just me? Sadly, in a listening audience to the greater Toronto area and literally the world through the MyJoy Radio app and podcast formats, I know that maybe you're one of those listening who've experienced the worst kind of offense in the form of abuse. No matter the level of offense, forgiveness is always a key to unlocking your destiny. Well, I want to take a look at three people in the Bible who experienced great offenses and how they dealt with forgiveness. I'm going to highlight a couple points for each and let you know how it relates to forgiveness and your life and getting you free. The first person who handled offense in a memorable way is Jesus. Jesus, who was beaten, rejected, and betrayed, knows what it's like to have people offend you. In Mark 1, verse 17, Jesus said, Come, follow me. So we need to know what Jesus did so we can follow him. How did Jesus forgive? Let's take a look. To forgive like Jesus forgave, you will not see forgiveness as an option. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15, But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is teaching that your willingness to forgive affects your relationship with the Father, and He's not leaving any wiggle room out of this one. This has hands down been the hardest command of Jesus for me to follow and something I continually pray about. Asking God to help me forgive those who have offended me, as the healing comes in my life, the forgiveness flows easier to others. And then to forgive like Jesus forgave, you will forgive when your offender doesn't even care. In Romans 5, 8, Paul explained how God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus provided for your forgiveness before you even asked. He didn't wait for anyone to ask before he died on the cross. Jesus came for that purpose. You are reconciled in relationship to Christ when you acknowledge your offenses, the things that you do wrong, and invite him in to heal you from the hurts that they've caused. I know talk of sin isn't popular these days, but this phenomenon of being fully aware of your wrongdoing is experienced by so many people coming to Christ, and it was my experience too. But Jesus doesn't leave you feeling that way. Immediately, people share that when they confess their sins, that they experience this overwhelming sense of God's love and forgiveness, not His judgment. It's like God wants you to know that He knows and He still loves you. Your confession and your faith in Christ's salvation, along with true repentance, which is changing your ways, is what restores you into right relationship with God. To forgive like Jesus forgave, you will deal with offenses. You won't deny them. 
In Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18, Jesus lays out a practical format for dealing with offense that doesn't sweep things under the couch or ignore the issues. Although this is a common sin of the church, it is not in line with the teachings of Jesus. Jesus' format was a three-step process with reconciliation and forgiveness always as the goal, but not necessarily always attainable. Regardless of the offense, it was to be dealt with. First, go to the person. If they listen, then you've won them over and the relationship can be reconciled. If not, go back to that person and bring a witness that can help you work it out. And if you still can't resolve your differences and they're serious enough, then you're to bring them before the church. Jesus was meek, but he wasn't weak. He believed in facing offense head on. The next person who handled offense in a memorable way is the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians, the people of Corinth were upset and offended that Paul didn't stick to the plans he had of coming to see them when he said that he would. So Paul was explaining how he was going there, but then his plan got changed by God. In chapter 2, Paul said that he decided to write to them first before coming because he thought it would help their relationship more if he wrote them and gave them time to process what he said before they met face to face. What a great way. The section in 2 Corinthians 2 verses 5 to 11 is often called forgiveness for the offender. In 1 Corinthians, Paul directed the church to deal with a certain member's abusive behavior. By the time of writing 2 Corinthians, this same person had been living in repentance for a long time. Paul instructs the church to forgive him and even comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Paul urged them to reaffirm their love to this past offender. So does this mean that you have to forgive, to forget, and to go back into relationship with an offender? Yes, no, and no. Do you have to forgive? Yes. Hands down, you have to forgive for your sake. You're not approving or accepting of your offender's actions. Using the key of forgiveness, you're releasing your offender from your judgment to God's judgment because he is the only good judge. He discerns the hearts and motive of people. Something we can't do. Unforgiveness is a tactic of the enemy. Unforgiveness will lock you up and keep you stuck. It keeps you bound. So do you have to forgive? Yes. Do you have to forget? No. You can breathe a sigh of relief. It's almost impossible for the human brain to forget, especially when there's an emotion connected to the memory. Bondage has been put on believers because of a misunderstanding of Micah 7 verse 19 by Jewish people. You may have heard the saying, God forgives our sins and puts them in the sea of forgetfulness. This phrase, the sea of forgetfulness, comes from a Jewish tradition celebrated at Rosh Hashanah, where they cast their bread upon the water and watch it float away as a reminder of their sin being washed away. This saying is not scripture, although it has been quoted and sung like it is, propagating this false belief that God forgives and forgets, and so should you. I know I was brought up being taught this, and it used to really bug me. The Bible doesn't say that. Micah seven nineteen does say, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And Hebrews eight twelve does say, God will be merciful towards your iniquities and will remember your sins no more. 
God chooses to not remember your sin. He chooses not to focus on your faults. God doesn't forget, and he's not asking you to either. God chooses not to remember, and sometimes you need to choose not to remember too. Stop allowing your brain to rehearse the offense over and over. Invite Holy Spirit in to break the neural pathways that keep leading your thoughts back to the hurtful offense or on a pathway of negative thinking. If you can't do this on your own, I highly recommend a 21-day brain detox by Dr. Caroline Leaf or a few of them. I've done about six by now. Do you have to restore relationship with your offender? No, but that doesn't mean that you can't. You're just not always required to do that. Romans 12 verse 18 says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes it's just not possible to live at peace with everyone. Sometimes it would be unhealthy for you to go back into relationship with someone that is offensive. If this is something you have a struggle with, I encourage you to read two of my devotions. George has shared links to them in the show notes there. You can search them on my blog for Does Forgiveness Equal Restored Relationship? And I've Been Binge Watching Netflix. Trust me, they're both talking about the same issue from different angles and completely different examples. If you follow the pattern set out by Paul and Jesus, you see that a person with a repentant heart, you shouldn't be hard-hearted towards them. Hopefully, you've already forgiven them. Your forgiveness can then be turned to reconciliation. Then, but not before. Reconciliation may come through you, or maybe God will call on others to help in that person's reconciliation. This is a matter of your choice. If a person tries guilting you into reconciliation, then have they truly repented and changed their ways? And unless you see true repentance, a turning from sinful ways, it's not wise to approach relationship rebuilding. Jesus didn't feel the need to stay in relationship with the Sadducees that were out to get him, the ones who were always trying to trip him up. He wasn't afraid to stand up for himself, to defend his views, or to put them in their place. Jesus didn't placate or pursue relationship with them because they weren't repentant. Jesus was willing to meet with individual Sadducees like Nicodemus. He cared about people. These are the examples from Jesus and Paul, and I hope they are like a key in the door, helping to set your heart free. The best example in the Bible of forgiveness being the key that unlocks the door to destiny, other than Jesus, is Job. Job was a really good guy, and his friends were really bad comforters. During the most difficult time of Job's life, when he lost his children, wife, health, and came to financial ruin, his so-called friends said so many hurtful things, questioning him of sin to bring on all this tragedy, something none of us should do, but sadly, many have done in the past. After years of sickness, the death of his family members, and oodles of offense— Job prays the most grace-filled prayer next to Jesus' prayer on the cross, but it's along the same lines. In Job 42.10, it says that after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. It wasn't an overnight restoration. It took years, actually decades. But by the end of the book of Job, we read that the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. Releasing forgiveness doesn't mean you'll come into a pot of gold, no, but it does mean that you'll experience the release of a weight you weren't meant to carry. 
Job seems to be a type of Christ where for when Jesus was on the cross, he looked at the people, nailing him and said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And that very hurtful, difficult journey was the destiny for which Christ came to bring you and me salvation. May you and I have the grace to follow in the forgiveness footsteps of Jesus, Paul and Job because forgiveness is a key to unlocking your destiny. Sometimes you may have more than one deadbolt lock on the door to your destiny, but I guarantee you that unlocking the key of forgiveness will move you towards your destiny and unlock new doors of health and opportunity for you. Just make sure that you walk through them. I encourage you to check out my brand new Traveling Through the Desert with You online course. In this program, you'll be taken on a healing journey where you learn to release unforgiveness that will help you unlock the freedom God has waiting for you. From all of us here at Joy Radio, we're so glad you joined us for Episode 71 of the Soul H2O Radio and Podcast Show. Forgiveness is a key to unlocking your destiny. Make sure to check out the show notes for deeper insights and links to my online course. They can be found at soulh2o.com slash 71. Until next week, I'm praying you stay blessed and refreshed. We appreciate your support to help Soul H2O Ministries continue and want to thank all of you who partner with us in making this Joy Radio show a reality so people can come and get refreshed. Thanks for listening to the Soul H2O Podcast from Joy Radio in Toronto. Be sure to subscribe, then rate and share so we can reach new listeners around the world.